want to extend a good morning and welcome to everyone who is here. Whether you are with us in person or whether you are joining us online, I hope that you feel welcomed and know that we are excited to be together. Uh, we also want to wish everyone here a happy Thanksgiving. So whether you are a regular part of our church family or if you are a guest with us here this morning, uh, we hope that this morning can be a blessing and an encouragement to you. As a church community, we have been studying through the book of Deuteronomy in our series that we are calling Rules for Life. And in this book, <clears throat> Moses is at the end of his life, and he delivers this call to God's people as a final farewell to the nation of Israel. Moses' life and leadership are about to end, and he wants to summarize and charge the people of God to walk in faithfulness to God's commands as they enter the land that was promised to them. And so because it is Thanksgiving today, I have selected a passage found in Deuteronomy chapter 8 uh, that I think is appropriate for our, our theme this morning. So if you have your Bible and would like to turn there, it's in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 10 through 18. I'm going to read our passage for us this morning, and then we will pray together. Deuteronomy 8 verses 10 through 18, read this. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees, <clears throat> excuse me, his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine homes and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land, with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors, as it is today. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your presence here among us. We thank you, God, that you are good, that you are faithful, that you have always been trustworthy and true. And God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it has the power to revive us, to awaken us, to show us who you are. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask now that as we dig into this word this morning, that you would take the words that I have prepared and that you might use them. Holy Spirit, I can do nothing apart from you. And so I, I lay these words and I lay myself before you and I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that your spirit would infuse these words and that our hearts and minds would be open to what you want to say and do and how we can respond to you. We love you and we desire to know you more, Lord Jesus. So come and speak to us this morning, we pray. The grass withers and the flowers fade. 
but the word of the Lord stands forever. And all God's people said, Amen. For over 400 years, the people of God were enslaved. They were forced to a hard life of labor under the brutal taskmasters of Egypt. And when the time was right, God appointed Moses. He was a son of a Hebrew woman, but yet was raised in the courts of Egypt to be their deliverer, to lead the people out of Egypt, out of Pharaoh's dominion, and into the land of promise, a place of their own. And the book of Exodus chronicles Israel's journey of leaving Egypt, but then coming into the desert wilderness. And it's in this wilderness that they get stuck. What should have taken the people a mere few weeks to cross this desert takes them 40 years. 40 years of wandering around in a circle. 40 years in the desert always on the doorstep of their new home and their new life, but never able to actually enter into it. And this is what the book of Numbers talks all about, chronicling chronicling this circular journey that the Israelites are making. But now, in the book of Deuteronomy, they have arrived. No more wandering in the desert. They are finally going to enter the land that God has promised to them and to their people for generations. And as I shared before, Moses is at the end of his life, and he knows these people. He knows their tendency towards disobedience, to fall back into fear, and to not trust in everything that God has promised. And that's why so much of the book of Deuteronomy is reminding the people of God's faithfulness, reminding them all of what he has promised and all of what he has commanded them. But the book of Deuteronomy is also a book of warning. Warning against falling away from God. Warning against allowing the nations around them to influence them. And in our passage today, it is specifically a warning against forgetting God. I'm going to read verses 11 through 14 for us once again. Deuteronomy 8, 11 through 14. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This passage is a warning to the people of God, telling them that if they are not careful, they could forget God. That once they enter the land and they begin to settle down and build houses as their crops increase, as their flocks and herds multiply, and as they eat good meals and all these blessings come, as those things happen, there's a temptation that they will face that they will forget God. And what was true of the Israelites thousands of years ago is still true of the human condition today. When we are surrounded by abundance, when we have full bank accounts, when our refrigerators and our freezers are full, when our businesses are increasing, when our stock portfolio and investments, they're only going up and to the right, we face the same temptation 
And while these are blessings, and I don't want to deny that in any way, they are blessings, but we are also walking on thin ice in those places. Jesus told a parable once of a rich man in Luke chapter 12. And in this story, the man had an abundant harvest. He had so much grain that he didn't even know what to do with it. And so he looks at this situation and he says to himself, well, what am I going to do with all this grain? And he says, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my current barns and I'll build bigger ones to hold all the surplus that I have. And so that's what he does. He tears down his current ones, builds up bigger ones, and keeps all the surplus of grain for himself. And then he tells himself, man, you're set. Like, you got more grain than you know what to do. You're good for years. Eat, drink, and be merry. And Jesus tells this story, and what he says is that at the end, this man is brought before God, and God speaks to him, and he says, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you, and then who will, who will get all the things that you have prepared for yourself? And the point that Jesus is trying to make in this story is he tells them the point right at the beginning of the passage in Luke 12, 15, where he says this, Luke 12, 15, then he said to them, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Jesus here is using this parable to teach the people to be careful. It's a warning in thinking that life is all about the accumulation of things that can make you satisfied and secure. And God, through Moses, is telling the people of Israel thousands of years earlier the exact same thing. Be careful. As all of these blessings are coming upon you, be careful that as you settle down, you don't become proud and forget God. That was what he was trying to warn them against. And the one big idea that I pray we can take away from us this morning is this is that we can be careful to not forget God in our lives and follow his commands for us by living a life of gratitude. Let me repeat that for us one more time. We can be careful to not forget God in our lives and follow his commands for us by living a life of gratitude. And I want to show this to us in three different ways. Firstly, the power of gratitude. Secondly, a testimony of gratitude. And thirdly, gratitude as our appropriate response to God. And for our testimony of gratitude, we are privileged to have a dear friend and a long-standing member of this church as she's going to share her testimony of God's faithfulness and her life of gratitude in light of that. So you can look forward to that as well. But firstly, let's look at the power of gratitude. Let me read verse 10 again of our passage. Deuteronomy 8.10. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. God commands us to be thankful. God commands us to praise him. Now someone can look at that and think to themselves, well, jeepers, that's kind of self-serving. God is commanding us to praise him? Like, my goodness, what an ego. <laughs> God is commanding us to thank him? Like, jeepers. Like, what an, what an ego-centered being. My goodness. But that is not the case at all. 
God is completely self-sufficient. He does not need anything from us. Psalm 50 verses 9 through 15 read this. God is speaking through the psalmist, speaking to his people, and he says this. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High and call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. God has no need of our worship. He doesn't. God has no need of our thanksgiving. He doesn't need any of it. God is still completely God without it. That's not the point. We do not praise and thank God because he needs it. We praise and thank God because we need it. We praise and thank God because we need it. You are a created being. You did not just show up on this earth one day as a self-existent thing. Someone made you. And that someone who made you made you with a purpose. But you will only find your true purpose when you begin to relate rightly with the God who made you. And when you come into that right relationship with God, when you come to relate to him rightly, praise and thanksgiving, they spill out of you. It's just what naturally happens when you come into alignment with God. I love how C.S. Lewis puts it in this quote on the Psalms, and I'll read it for us. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. The Scottish Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. When God commands us to praise him, to thank him, to glorify him, he is at the exact same time telling us, this is what will bring you your deepest and most profound sense of joy, so do it. This is what will bring you the most profoundest sense of joy when you come into right alignment with who I am, so do it. God is committed to your deepest and most profound joy. That is why he commands you to praise him. That is why he commands you to thank him. And when we come into that right alignment, things start to work properly. He is God, and we are not. He is the creator, and you are the creation. He is the Father, and we are his children. It's when we begin to relate to him rightly that praise and thanksgiving, they just begin to come out of us. 
Praise is not a duty, it's a delight. Thankfulness is not a chore, it becomes the cry of our hearts. God is not being an ego-centered jerk when he commands you to praise him. He is inviting you into alignment with how he has set up the universe. And he said, it's going to go well for you if you will follow my ways and walk in line with me. And to honor and glorify and thank God is coming into alignment with how the fabric of the universe has been made. Gratitude is not only fitting for us, it actually helps us as well. There have been a number of different studies from major universities that are beginning to see the power that thankfulness and gratitude actually have on our minds. One study that has been done out of the Indiana University, they had nearly 300 different people in this study. And in this study, the 300 people or so, they all received psychological counseling. But they broke them into three different control groups. The one group, they just received counseling. That's all they were supposed to do. The second control group, they were to receive counseling, but then they were also to write thank you notes to very important people in their lives during the duration of the counseling. And then the third control group, they were to receive counseling, but they were also to write about their deepest thoughts and feelings about negative experiences over this trial run. Okay, and so this is a quote from the study. Their findings were quite interesting. Compared with the participants who wrote about negative experiences or only received counseling, those who wrote gratitude letters reported significantly better mental health outcomes for four weeks and 12 weeks after their writing exercise ended. It seems practicing gratitude on top of receiving psychological counseling carries greater benefit than counseling alone, even when that gratitude practice is brief. So just the act of stopping once a week and writing out a thank you letter to someone important in their lives helped carry the positive effects that they received in the counseling for months after the tests were done. Gratitude is incredibly powerful. Consider what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5, where he says this, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I do not believe that the Apostle Paul was merely just throwing some random thoughts together when he wrote this verse. Our ability to rejoice, no matter what the circumstances are we are facing, is directly relinked to our ability to pray and our ability to have gratitude. These things are linked together. They are not disconnected. I don't know of anyone who has walked through difficult challenges joyfully, who didn't also at the same time practice gratitude in the midst of that journey. And rather than have me rattle on further about giving thanks in all circumstances, I would like to invite a dear friend, Brenda Berg, to come forward and share her testimony of God's faithfulness in her life. Brenda is a dear friend to many of us. She is a longstanding member of our church. And I've asked her to come and share her story as a testimony of God's faithfulness and a life of thankfulness. So good morning, Ebenezer family. My name is Brenda Berg. And today I want to share with you a journey of faith, God's goodness, and God's incredible grace that has unfolded in my life. 
My life has been marked with many hospitalizations starting from the day that I was born. The doctors had told my parents that I would probably not live past the age of three, but obviously God had a different plan. Today I want to focus on the stories of my journey of the past 38 years. I find my strength and inspiration in a verse from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 11, which says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, plans not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. In 1984, I began experiencing severe abdominal pain and distension. As these episodes were sporadic at first, but over time they became increasingly frequent, leading to countless hospitalizations, some lasting as long as three months. My dedicated gastroenterologist ordered numerous tests to identify the problem, suspecting a complete bowel obstruction, but none of the tests ever revealed that. During this period, I find myself heading to the emergency room three to four times a week due to excruciating abdominal pain. The chronic pain became unbearable and led to a six-year dependency on heavy narcotics. What was God doing in my life? Although my life journey seemed to be focused on my health, I never wanted it to define who I was. I'm thankful to say that I was not discouraged with it. It was what I knew. It was my normal. As we have learned in Deuteronomy chapter 8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. When this journey began, I was relatively new to faith in Christ, but was aware that God was teaching me that trials are all part of his plan for my life and that I needed to trust him. It wasn't until this time that I was made aware of the people that had been praying for me for many years. The only thing that I could do to change the situation at this time was to pray, and this is when God gave me a, de a deep desire to pray. Eventually, I was referred to a renowned gastroenterologist in Toronto who diagnosed me with an elongated J-shaped stomach. He recommended surgery to correct the issue by shortening the stomach. However, thankfully, the local surgeons refused due to the complexity of the procedure. As the symptoms persisted, I was once again referred back to Toronto. The doctor there admitted that my case was way too complicated for him and suggested that I visit the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, which marked the beginning of five visits to this renowned institution. Unfortunately, the news from the Mayo was grim. They informed me that I had the second worst motility time in the digestive tract that they had ever seen, and no medications could significantly improve my condition. God reminded me of the verse in James chapter 1, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. I believe right from the beginning that uh, when I was born that God gave me a joy for living and thankfully the tenacity to push through my trials. I was so thankful to finally have a concrete diagnosis. At this time, I was in a Bible study with Jean Marcuse, who many of you know, a man here that attended it at Ebenezer. After speaking with him, he said, Brenda, 
I want you to go to Edmonton to see my dear friend, Dan Sadowski. His specialty is motility. For many years now, there have only been two motility uh, specialists in Western Canada. Amazing how God orchestrated the fact that I happened to be in the same Bible study with the best friend of a well-respected Christian motility expert. Miraculously, I secured an appointment with Dr. Sadowski quickly, and after numerous tests, he suggested that I have a significant portion of my intestine removed. However, after the surgery, I encountered severe infections and went into septic shock, pushing me to the brink of death. <clears throat> the, medical <clears throat> Sorry. the medical team moved quickly, and I recall the conversation that I had been having with the nurse. Her mother had been, had been trying to find love on a Christian dating site. Then I encountered a doctor who asked me a startling question. Brenda, when your heart stops, would you like me to start it again? I said, do you really think my heart is going to stop? He said, Brenda, there is no question. I replied, well, if it's not too much trouble, I'd really appreciate it. <laughs> it's a moment that I recall with remarkable calmness, clear-headedness, and even humor saying to the nurse, look, if I'm going down, I want to know the outcome of your mother's dating experience as the doctor was preparing for a life-saving procedure. The nurse called Arnie and asked him to come as I was being moved to intensive care. I saw Arnie at the bottom of my bed with a terrible look of fright on his face. And yet afterwards, when we recalled this situation, he said he was never there. We argued about it because even if I think today, I can still see that look on his face. I can only assume that the Lord knew that his presence was vital and that, I, that, and that I needed him there. On the third day in intensive care, the doctor came in and said that the medical team had just been having a conference about me and they could not figure out what happened. He said, you came to us with absolutely no blood pressure and no heartbeat, and yet you were talking and making perfect sense. Medically, he says, that is impossible. He said, if you were able to talk at all, you should have been so confused, but you weren't. I smiled and said that I had had hundreds of people praying for me from all over the world, including some that I have never even met, and my church family here at Ebenezer, and that I believe that God answered that prayer. He said, that has to be the case because you should not be alive. I couldn't help but wonder what God had, why God had saved me and why was I still here. I grappled with understanding my purpose. During the recovery that took many months, God showed me that he had chosen me and the trials in my life to show his power. And God opened doors for me to share my faith with medical staff, my family, as well as other patients. My health remained stable for a couple of years post-surgery and then deteriorated again, leading to more hospital visits. In September of 2018, I experienced multiple pseudo-obstructions and surgery became inevitable. However, it was during these moments of uncertainty that I continued to experience God's grace and his provision.
in December of that same year, just eight weeks after the previous surgery, I needed to have another surgery done. Complications and setbacks followed, but God's presence never wavered. Unfortunately, the surgery only addressed part of the problem. God reinforced that trials make me depend more on him, and the closer that I walk with him, the journey didn't seem as daunting. I knew there was a purpose for all of this. In 2019, my prayers for healing were occasional. Instead, I asked the Lord that if he chose not to heal me, that I was just fine with that. But I wanted God to use, me, use my story and give me the grace to go through the journey. Some days were tough, but God granted me the strength to persevere and lead a relatively normal life. My hospital room became my mission field, and I had many opportunities to share my faith with other patients and staff. Concerned about my frequent hospitalizations during COVID, my surgeon arranged for me to have a PICC line and to have the community paramedics give me, give me infusions at home, a great relief compared to visits to the ER and hospitalization. I felt this truly was a blessing from God. In December 2021, my gastroenterologist felt that my condition had deteriorated to the point that I needed to trans a transition to permanent TPN, meaning that I would be fed at nighttime intravenously while I slept, but absolutely nothing to eat or drink during the day. This was news that I dreaded, and thus emotionally, it was the lowest part of my 38-year journey. Fear crept in. However, God had other plans. The specialist overseeing the TPN program suggested a hospitalization in Regina where they would perform the necessary surgery and train me to administer my own TPN. I insisted on spending Christmas first with my family, and they agreed. So I spent the next three months drinking only smoothies waiting for an appointment, not the Christmas that I was used to. Since it was COVID time, the doctor was only doing uh, phone consultations, but thankfully my family doctor wrote a letter and I was able to get an in-person appointment with the doctor in Regina. After an extensive two and a half hour consultation with the specialist, and how often do you get that much time with any specialist? I received unexpected news. The doctor felt that I was not at the point that I was a candidate for TPN. This was nothing short of a miracle. God once again took care of me. Back home, I advocated for a change from a pick line to a port and even persuaded the healthcare system to train my husband to perform infusions due to staff shortages. This new approach would allow me to handle medical needs much more effectively. Shortly after my return from Regina, I had noticed that I was not having obstructions or even symptoms of, of obstructions. So in June of, two, of 2022, my family physician, who by the way is a wonderful Christian man, suggested discontinuing my motility medications. I was hesitant, but agreed and miraculously, I haven't experienced any obstruction since then. It's been 16 months of improved health and a renewed sense of hope. <clears throat> Through countless prayers from this church family, my husband, family, and friends, 
God has answered our prayers. I've often asked myself why I was chosen for healing when there's so many other people that are suffering. Why now, after all these years of pain and uncertainty? Was it me hitting my absolute low and asking my family doctor for the, for the made papers to sign so I could end my life whenever I jolly well felt like it? Or was it that God had allowed me to live with this condition and for the most part live well, that he had achieved all that he wanted from this journey and thus his timing was perfect? Today, I've come to a place of gratitude. I'm thankful for a compassionate and gracious God who has walked with me through this journey. I haven't earned it. I don't deserve the gift of healing, but I accept it with humility and gratitude. Reflecting on my story, I'm grateful for the trials that I have faced as they have shaped me into who I am today. I believe there definitely was a purpose for my suffering. God was preparing me for service. These challenges opened doors for me to share my faith, minister to others in hospital, serve within our church family, and serve in ministry in the Haitian villages in the Dominican and at Haggai International in Maui. I believe the best part of my story was the journey. The healing was the bonus. My journey hasn't ended, and we don't know what the future holds. But I'm excited about what God is, has in store for the future. Above all, I'm thankful for a God who is faithful, loving, and ever-present in my life. God's promise to give me hope in a future has been fulfilled in ways I never imagined. In the words of Jesus from John 9, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed. I'm very grateful for all who have prayed for me, and thank you, thank you, thank you, Ebenezer family. Thank you also for allowing me to share my story of faith, hope, and God's unwavering grace with you today. Thank you so much, Brenda, for sharing your story. It's, it's, it's intimidating to get up in front of a large group of people and be that vulnerable and honest about your journey, but thank you so much for, for sharing that. I, I love that, you know, she talked about how, you know, it's, the healing was amazing, and we praise God and give glory to him for that. Absolutely, absolutely. But God is faithful to us in the journey, too. He's faithful to us in, in the muck and the mire and in the thick of it. And so we just praise him for that. Thank you for sharing. We've looked at the power of gratitude. We've heard a testimony of gratitude and the faithfulness of God. I want to end by looking at gratitude as our response. So let's go quickly back to our passage as we conclude our time here. Deuteronomy 8.15 says this, He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. Throughout that desert season of Israel, despite their unfaithfulness, despite their whining and complaining against the Lord, God was still with them. He was still leading them and caring for them and providing for them out of his love. And Moses recalls a moment where God brought them water out of a rock. The people were thirsty in the wilderness and they needed water to survive. And God commanded Moses to strike a rock and water began to pour out of it. 
And the Apostle Paul comments on this scene in 1 Corinthians 10 where he says this, They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. They drank from the rock that was with them, and that rock was Christ. Imagine for a moment what it would be like to be thirsty, nearly dying in a wilderness, and a miracle happens. This man strikes a rock, and water begins to explode and pour out of this, out of this rock, and your thirst is quenched, and your life is saved. The only appropriate response you could give in a moment like that is gratitude. That's the only thing you can do. And just as that rock was struck in the wilderness and water came out of it to quench the thirst of a nation, so Christ was struck on the cross. His body was broken and his blood was poured out of him. And this happened so that we might be cleansed of our sin and drink from the living water that he wants to give us. He invites us to this water and he says, come, you who are thirsty and thirst no more. This is what God desires for us. He desires that you would receive this gift. It's not about earning it or deserving it. He simply wants you to come and receive it and then live in response to it. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward for our closing song. And I want to call you this morning to gratitude. Maybe you are here and you have that relationship with Christ. You are living in a faithful response to God in light of everything that he has done for you. My encouragement to you is to continue in that. Cultivate gratitude throughout your life. And maybe you are here and you've never surrendered your life to Christ. Maybe this is the day where you need to receive that gift. Maybe this is the day where you need to recognize I'm thirsty and I'm, I'm parched, and I need something that's going to satisfy and sustain me. I've tried a lot of other things, and nothing has. I invite you to come to Christ. His body was broken. His blood was shed. His life was emptied out just as that rock was struck, and his life was poured out so that you could come and drink and never be thirsty again. If, as we often do here, we will have staff up front. If you need prayer or you'd like someone to pray with you, we would love to be able to do that. And, but let me pray for us as we close our time together. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that on this Thanksgiving Sunday, we get to pause from our lives and just remember your faithfulness. Thank you for this testimony of Sarah and her life transformation in you. Thank you for the testimony of Brenda and how you have walked with her all these years and have brought healing to her heart and healing to her body. God, we give you glory and we give you thanks for that, Lord Jesus. And we thank you, God, that this same God who, who led the people through the wilderness and brought them into that promised land, that, that is who you are. You are still doing this, God. 
And so I pray for us this morning that in light of everything that you have done, the only appropriate response we can give is that of gratitude. So may gratitude and adoration and thanksgiving fill our hearts today, fill our hearts this week, and fill our hearts for the rest of our lives, Jesus. We love you and we thank you and we offer this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please remain standing for the benediction? And if you are comfortable, I would just ask that you might, if, if you are comfortable, to hold out your hands just as an act of receiving what the Lord would want to give to you. And let the peace of Christ dwell, rule in your hearts. For just as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you as you teach and admonish one another with all spiritual wisdom, using psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whether in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Have an amazing rest of your Sunday. Thank you for being with us. If you're free, take time to gather amongst and just take time to fellowship with each other. I hope you have a great rest of your Sunday and we'll see you when we see you.